0: Welcome to Encounter. We want nothing more than to help you find and follow Jesus. If you're a college student in Central Illinois, join us, Monday night's
1: ISU's campus. We'd love to see you there. Good evening, my people. Hey, um, so I've been doing campus ministry a long time. And through the years on mission trips, we've had, uh, I mean, my goodness, we've had a lot of stuff. We've had buses break down. We've had, we had a bombing at an airport we were getting ready to fly into one time. Uh, we've had hospital visits. We've had concussions. Uh, in my experience in campus ministry, we have never before had someone's car stolen on the mission trip. So good job, Detroit team. You set a new record this year. So give, give yourself a hand for that. I love, though... Seriously, that last week, that wasn't the banner of the trip. That as I've heard stuff about you guys serving and loving on people, that it went way deeper than a stolen car. (laughs) Some of you are like, that happened? That happened last week. So, appreciate you all Detroit people. Um, Tonight, I want to start with a story um that's, that's a little bit weird. It's a little bit out there just in terms of, of pivoting us toward where we're headed tonight. But but years ago, I know it was winter. I don't remember exactly what month. I just know there was snow on the ground. Joe and I were heading north on 155 between Tremont and Morton. Some of you may know that road. And um, and it was, it's late at night. There's not a lot of cars on the road. But there is a Jeep that's maybe 50 yards ahead of me. And we're driving behind this thing. And, um, and this thing hit something hard. Uh, like, makes impact, like, we see sparks fly, um, and we're not that far behind them, so immediately, I'm, I'm braking and swerving around debris on the road and stuff, and this car just kind of skids and lurches to a stop sideways in the middle of the road, no lights on, airbags deployed, Um, and there's another car that apparently it hit, okay, that's up a little bit further, and a couple of uh, other, other people, too, so I, I pull off the side of the road, way off the road, kind of into the snow and other stuff too because I don't. there's nobody coming right now, but there's headlights way off in the distance. And so I pull off the road into the snow to get Joe. We had a couple car seats in the back too. I assume kids with us in that moment. We pull way off and I go sprinting back as fast as I can. And I either had, I don't remember if it was like a little flashlight from my car or from our car or if it was my like phone flashlight. One, I mean, so in other words, Barely a flashlight is what I had. I'm dressed in a giant black winter coat. Wonderful. Okay. And I go sprinting back toward these other cars. And there's two guys just kind of standing there looking dazed and confused. And I was like, are you guys okay? And they said, yeah. There's an older couple that's still in the Jeep who hadn't gotten out yet. Okay. And um, and so they kind of wander up to the Jeep. As I run up to the Jeep, and I'm trying to ask this couple if they are okay, and they think that they are, but they're also really dazed and, and kind of confused. And I can look, and I can see headlights in the distance. And I'm like, that's the problem right now is that there's no lights. I mean, there's nobody's lights on on this road, and there's debris all over the road, and this Jeep's going to get hit again if these cars don't see that that's so... I take off, so I tell the guys, hey, you get them out of this car off the road if you can, if they're okay. And I just take off running down the middle of the road toward traffic to try to use my little flashlight dressed in black to try to wave down this oncoming traffic so that another accident doesn't happen, all right? That's my, that's my job in this moment. And a semi is the first thing to come, all right? So I'm standing there in the middle of the road, middle, middle of 155 with my little flashlight Doing this way, you know trying to wave this and this semi does not see me until he is like 30 yards from me And then he understands what's happening locks up his brakes comes skidding to us I mean, I of course I, I do not stay in the middle of the road at that point Okay smarter than that not real smart, but i'm smarter than that So he locks up his brakes. He starts to see the debris He sees me and turns on his hazards and slows way down and kind of pulls off to the side But this keeps happening because cars keep coming in that all right and so Long story short, everybody was okay. I just want you to understand in this moment, sometimes in campus ministry, that's what I feel like. I feel like that's my job. I, I, I love your age bracket. I really do with my whole heart. 18 to 23-year-olds. I've lived my whole life with you guys. But sometimes I feel like that. Sometimes I feel like this dude in the middle of the road that's like, hey, careful. Like, be careful of what's ahead. I've seen a little bit of the path ahead for you guys, and I don't want it to be destruction. I really don't, with my whole heart. I don't want you to experience pain. I don't want you to be in relationships that will end in destruction. So when I see that, it's like, this is important to me. So tonight, the theme that we're in, that's what I feel like. I read a study, uh, Barna put out a poll for your age group, you're sort of Gen Z. I mean, like, you're the cross between the millennials and Gen Z. That's who's sitting in the room right now. Some studies call you the bridge, like you're the bridgers, meaning you're, the, you're sort of the gap in between millennials and Gen Z. Anyway, I saw a Barna study in March that asked your age group, what's the purpose of life? The vast majority of your age group responded with these two words, pleasure and happiness. That's the meaning of life. And you guys, when I hear that, there's a big part of me that feels like that guy with a little tiny flashlight in the road being like, no, don't. You got to slow down. This cannot be it. If that's what you identify as your purpose in this life, pleasure and happiness, you guys are destined for a really, really difficult road. I mean, the text I, uh, the text I have tonight for us actually comes from Solomon. Let me read this with you. Uh, Ecclesiastes. If you don't know, Solomon was a king, maybe one of the wealthiest kings ever to exist. All right? And he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. If you have time this week, read Ecclesiastes 1 and 2. But let me just sum up a little bit for it, because he's trying to find purpose. And he's experimenting with all kinds of stuff. So this comes out of chapter 2. I said to myself, come on, let's try pleasure. Let's look for the good things in life. But I found that this too was meaningless. This is after chapter one, where he's already tried wisdom and knowledge. So I said, laughter, laughter's silly. What good does it to seek pleasure? After much thought, I decided to cheer myself with wine. While still seeking wisdom, I clutched at foolishness. In this way, I tried to experience the only happiness most people find during their brief life in this world. I'm going to jump to verse eight. I collected great sums of silver and gold, the treasure of many kings and provinces. Seriously, one of the wealthiest kings ever to exist. I hired wonderful singers, both men and women, had many beautiful concubines, had everything a man could desire. So I became greater than all who had lived in Jerusalem before me, and my wisdom never failed me. Anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure, even found great pleasure in hard work, a reward for all my labors. But as I looked at everything I had worked so hard to accomplish, it was all so meaningless, like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. If you want to ask, what is the theme of Ecclesiastes, especially early Ecclesiastes, I can tell you that that word sums it up pretty well. Meaningless, meaningless. Solomon cries out to you. Meaningless, it's meaningless. Meaningless. You are on a treadmill that you never reach a destination if the destination is pleasure and happiness. So you say, okay, Ben, what is our purpose for living? Well, friends, we've been talking about it all year. Jesus was very blunt. What's the most important commandment for us to live by? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. He wasn't shy about it. He wasn't mysterious about it. He just said it. This is the reason you were put on this earth. There is a hole that exists in your soul, and that is the only thing that will fill it. And I see you guys. Like, I know it. I lived it. Because as a college student, one of the first things that you get to do is say, all right, I get to decide who I am. I get to decide who I am. You guys, Solomon, do you hear the list? Knowledge, sex, laughter, alcohol, happiness, wealth, parties, power, even hard work. That was his list in that scripture. And what's the end result that he comes to? Meaningless. It does not fill the giant gaping hole that you have in your chest. You were built to worship God, to honor him, to love him, and and therefore, through that love, to love the other people around you. Will that work be easy? It will not, but it will be fulfilling. So tonight, what I wanted to do was ask this question, what does it mean to live a life that looks like this? Really, to live a full life that looks like that. To investing in loving in God and loving other people. In other words, what does it mean to live a life that would create a legacy, that goes beyond you, that isn't just about you, that goes beyond you? So normally, you guys, what I would do, I mean, I, when I looked at Scripture and I tried to look at the kind of life that Jesus lived like that, I, I, there were three words that came out of it when I looked at Jesus' life. All right, so first of all, he he very much knew his purpose, right? I mean, there are a couple of things I wrote. Matthew 20, I didn't come to be served, but to serve. Luke 19, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. Those are things that Jesus said very clearly about his intention. He knew his purpose on this earth. So he was intentional. He was consistent. Like this is what every day looked like for Jesus as he lived out his life. And I want to tag this one on there, too. He was relational. So, I mean, I've thrown them up on the screen. But those three things we see evident in Jesus' life, he didn't just do these things in a cave on his own. He did life with his disciples. He brought them along in this journey. So there was this intentionality about his purpose. There was this consistency and faithfulness to Jesus' life. And, and he gave that away to others as a gift. So normally as I would preach this to you guys, normally as we would talk about legacy tonight, I, I would, I sit in my office and I whiteboard all this stuff out. So I would find all these stories of, in scriptures of, of how Jesus would do this. Tonight I want to do this completely differently. I want to approach this completely differently. Because the question that we asked was, how could I show you guys a life that actually looks like this? How could tonight just be one giant illustration about that? about a person, a real person, not just, you know, somebody we made up or what somebody could look like. Could I actually show you the life of someone who's lived a life like that? That's what we're going to do tonight. I'm going to introduce you tonight to my friend, Neil. Uh, Neil's older than me, a little bit, not a lot, but a little bit older than me. I first met Neil when I came to campus 19 years ago. He was on the board of directors that hired me. Neil was on our board for 32 years. He was our economics. He was an an econ professor here at ISU. He was, I have to tell you, Neil, smart as a whip. When I was around Neil, uh, pretty much the smartest guy in the room in every room that I was with in him. He wrote the textbook on econ that I'm guessing you may still be using in your classes to this day. Um, He and his wife, Barb, were huge parts of the ministry here. Matter of fact, I think we had some turning points in our ministry that I'm not sure if we'd be here today, if Neil hadn't been involved in leading and helping in this ministry. And Neil, who passed away in February of 2021, um, Neil lived this kind of a life. really wish he could be sitting here with me tonight so that I could ask him questions directly. But instead, Barb, his wife, has agreed to be here with us tonight. Barb agreed to us doing some video work where we sat and talked about who Neil was uh, as a person and how he lived those two commands out, you guys, what it means to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. And when you catch a glimpse of Neil, my friend's life, you catch a glimpse of how he did that at ISU with his students How he did that with his daughters, how he did that with his wife, how he did that in our ministry, how he did that behind the scenes, how he did that with his friends. I'm asking that you open your eyes tonight, because Neil, his life, is what gets to preach, and I'd love for you to eavesdrop in on that. So we're going to start that with a video.
0: For his legacy, I think that um, he was faithful. Um, He used the talents that he was given to serve God. I think he would really want to be remembered for that. Um, He would want to be remembered as helping people. Um, When he was a Sunday school teacher, he wasn't just a teacher. He was also a guy who would uh, volunteer to uh, help you. Let's put on the roof for your house. He would like to be remembered for that. Neil's a first-generation college student. In fact, none of his aunts or uncles or parents went to college. And so um, we know each other, who who we are in grade school, but then in high school, we are in the same organizations, band, future teachers. He sits across from me in psychology class, my junior year, his senior year. He's a year ahead of me. I did not know that. (laughs) Here we are. (laughs) and we start dating. <laughs> Here we are. We get married after my graduation. Mm-hmm. And we become, um, so we become a man and wife in um, na- July 24th, ni- uh, 1976. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. then have our first daughter in 1980. Neil was a hands-on dad from the beginning. There's Caroline when he is he, um, he, really was excited about her birth I'll never forget we used to run to who's gonna get her first when she woke up (laughs) we were just crazy about having a child it was a big deal for us Mm -hmm. Um, so he was so excited and then that's that's another one that's Caroline and then after that comes Becky and um, there is a picture let's see of him and the third daughter Meredith We're outside, we lived on Normal Avenue, and he's outside with her. Um, and then there's the three of them, and then Lindsay. There we go, so we had four daughters in eight years. Wow. Yeah, and uh, life was busy. I was a stay-at-home mom, and Neil did his thing uh, with teaching and all the many different activities that he did. So we're on Normal Avenue. And if you just go straight down to Normal Avenue, Campus House. So this is really cool. So he, Neil and I went to Campus House at the University of Missouri. So we're familiar. Neil's raised Christian church, and he, um, he knows there's a minister here. Had to be that first week of teaching. He stops in the Campus House and says, hey, I want to help. I'm a new professor, and Jim Simpkins was the minister. And he's like, I want to help. And that's typical Neil. Mm-hmm. you know? It, it's just like, here I am, I wanna be available. The first, the first years were really, really good years. I mean, he, he was involved in a lot of things. He really was very involved in campus ministry. Mm-hmm. He would teach down there all the time. Um, he, we went on retreats with the group. Um, he, he actually, some of you know this, he filled in for a year until Pete was hired <laughs> and that was funny um, because um, he went down every week and taught and it was a small group at that point and they would come up to our house and we played parlor games with our kids. It was, it was hilarious. But, um, but he did that. This was typical Neil is, I'm here, you know, I'll do it. I'm, I'm gonna take care of this. We mm-hmm. want this to keep going on. I know he really liked college students. I know that he always had office hours and he always kept those office hours. You know, some professors don't want to, but I think that he really felt um, that it was important to be involved with students. They're making important decisions now. This is a good time in life. And I think that's, um, and he wanted to be the best teacher he could possibly be. He wanted people to uh, know his subject. He want, He had high standards, I think, back in those days too. He's kept every roster. I've got a book of rosters, yes. And with you know with their grades mm. um, yeah he kept he kept those he kept that um, I think that he cared about students there were times when he would tell me about there was situations in which students were in trouble or something and he would he took time to, to work through that
1: obviously econ is his home yeah. base right yeah. so I mean we're sitting next to the textbook he wrote yeah. used by the University <laughs> yeah and we're looking at his tags here um, mm-hmm. chair of the Department of Economics but we are also looking at name tags of him being the chair of the Department of Chemistry and the chair of the Department of Psychology <laughs> yes. how does an econ guy cross that bridge why why is site are some, the departments of psychology and chemistry knocking on his door
0: and I think they pick him because he um, gets along well with people. And you're really just sort of babysitting till they find the chair that's gonna take mm-hmm. over. And he, he, he just- He just character. He yeah. had the character to do it. He had, um, he, he certainly could be forceful if he needed to be, he could do that. He could be forceful. He could um, try to figure out what the problems are. Mm-hmm. He could use analysis because as an economist you're always analyzing (laughs) even at one point they were considering him for provost but he just said no Mm -mm. don't even go there i'm not i'll do these short-term things Mm -hmm. but i'm not i don't want to make a career teaching is where i want to be so that was cool that he knew he knew who he was Mm -hmm. and that's one thing about neil that you have to realize he knows who he is He's very intentional about his life. He really wants to plan and do um, do things that he feels uh, fulfill a need, um, things he feels like he's called to do.
1: I don't. I don't know if I remember what year it was, but there yeah. there was a time. I mean, I remember Neil coming into my office and saying, "You know, hey, I've, I've been talking to doctors. They tell me I'm just getting old." But they're wrong. <laughs> I mean, he knew. He knew at that point. He told me that, you know, I've been, I've been teaching forever without notes, and now suddenly I'm having to lean on notes, and mm-hmm. I can just tell that I'm not as sharp. Everybody, I mean, Neil was on the board when I was hired, mm-hmm. and when I came to work with Pete. And all of us knew that Neil was the sharpest guy in the room. There was no question. <laughs> he was, I mean, he was brilliant. Yeah. And, um, mm-hmm. and so he seemed to, to be very self-aware. But I don't know how long that was going on before he had talked to me about it.
0: Um, Like you say, he knew something was wrong and we're trying to find answers. We had good five years where what's wrong, you know? Am I just tired? We went to all kinds of people we went to, he knew his visual perceptions um, were not what they should be. And so we're going to all kinds of specialists trying to figure out why do I feel the way I do? I'm not, I'm not, I don't have as much energy. My brain just doesn't seem as sharp. What's going on? But So it took us a long time to find out. And he's aware. And then when he gets the diagnosis, that's the only time I ever saw him cry. Is mm-hmm. when we left that office, there were tears. And that's not Neil. He even walked our old neighborhood, he said, and realized that life now was going to be different for him and that he would not get to see what he wanted to see with us. And he felt bad. And he told me, he says, I feel bad for you because you're the one. You're the one that's gonna go through the worst. And you know, I'll be okay, but you're gonna have to deal with me in this situation. He is aware, he can even tell people, yeah, I've been I got this crazy disease, uh posterior cortical atrophy is the name of it. Uh it was also uh diagnosed too at Mayo, formally diagnosed with PET scans and so we know and we're on I'm on a blog with people. And so I'm getting support from a blog, and then I have friends who are fabulous um, who want to help, And but um, then you get to the point where he's not self-aware anymore, and that that's hard. That's the hard years when he's not aware, and he thinks he can walk, but he's getting lost, and you know, so you go through all of that, all of those kind of things, and but I have to say that God was good to us, and that I got to keep him at home. He... He made it through the disease and I didn't have to put him in the in a, a home would have been hard for him because um, he was so aware of all the way through where he was at least. Um, this was wonderful. I got a letter. I found a letter when he was on an Emmaus retreat in which I was the, the person that was at the retreat and I got and you had get letters from family and friends and he gave I got a letter from him which I didn't find until... I knew it was there, but I didn't know where it was. But I got it on the anniversary of his death. This is so God. Dear Barb, I'm supposed to write something meaningful. That shouldn't be too difficult to do for the only woman I've ever loved. When I was young and foolish, I could imagine life without you. Now I can't. The biblical teaching that two become one is certainly true. I depend on you in ways that I don't even recognize. I don't like to make decisions, even decisions that you defer to me on, without consulting you. I don't sleep well here at home when you're not here, although I sleep fine when you're on the couch. Your absence unsettles me. How do I love thee? I won't try to count the ways, but I feel them deeply. Your persistent faith has kept me relatively on the straight and narrow all these years. Had I married someone else, I'm sure I would have turned out far different and quite possibly far less faithful. Although the girls don't always find you a barrel of laughs, you hold the family together. You do far more to keep the household running than I do or I ever plan to do. You show love and action every day this spring semester has been rough emotionally for me but when i think of all the ways god has blessed me starting with you and the girls i feel almost ashamed that i got so blue over a job so long as you are with me i should be happy and i shall try to be in the future i hope that this experience one that we have after fashion shared will lift us up as a couple to greater and more joyful service Either where we are or where God will send us. I love you deeply and am looking forward to your return Sunday night. Yours in every way, Neil.
1: Hey, it is a huge privilege to have Neil's wife, Barb, here with us tonight. And so I want you guys to welcome Barb up here with me to the stage, if you would. Oh, I'm sorry, Barb. I should have thought that through a little better. That was hard to watch before we talked. Yeah, really, um, I don't know if I talk. <laughs> um, Thank you for being here with us tonight in this space. I mean, I, I, I had a handful of questions that I gave Barb in advance, but I mean, one of the first ones that I would love for you to answer is tell me about Neil's faith. Like, when, how did he meet Jesus? What did faith with Jesus look like in Neil's life? Okay. Um, so I'll
0: just start We both grew up with um, parents who met us at church every Sunday. So we, um, what typically happened, you usually accepted Christ when you're growing up in a church environment. Usually, you know, around 9 or 10, you accepted at church camp or revival. Mm -hmm. And that's what happened. Neil accepted Christ at a church camp. And um, I would have to say what kind of faith did he have? It was really biblically based. Neil really um, read the Bible a lot, and he studied it seriously all the time. And so, what what it was is that he really felt like, you read the Bible, you, you know who God is, you got to know who God is, and then you just, you, you're obedient. I mean, that's just how he was. He thought that faith without work is dead. I mean, it says in James that faith without works is dead. So he he had these Hebrew concepts of to know God is to respond appropriately. I think yada is a, a Hebrew word in the Old Testament. It talks about knowing God, and, and that's the meaning of that. And So he felt like whatever it is that God wants him to do, that he's going to do it. He's going to respond and do that. And he's going to Practice, he believed that God had this covenant loyalty. God made a covenant with his people if you read in the Old Testament, and he's going to make that covenant too with God, and he's going to have that loyalty to God, and he's going to do it with love. You know, it's, it, it, the word was hesed. He was really big on that. And anybody who ever had him as a, a Sunday school teacher, he, um, he talked a lot about that, and he felt like um, this loyalty was very important, hmm. and with love, and that was his faith. He just was really very strong on that. Hmm.
1: Yeah, I uh, I actually put your guys's pictures into the slides too. If you guys can throw that one up there, I don't think my thing is working. So yeah, this is as long as I knew Neil, he had a mustache that even Josh Gronky would be uh, jealous of. <laughs> um, and that is how old were you guys in that first picture? Um, sixteen and seventeen.
0: Sixteen and seventeen. It's like the sound of music.
1: Sixteen going on, seventeen. So tell me about the early love story for you guys. What was that like? Well,
0: okay. all this stuff, you know, and so he, actually he dated a good friend of mine, and so he, yeah, <laughs> and so he breaks up with her, uh, this is his senior year, he breaks up with her, and then he's in the psychology class, I think he's just looking for some blow-off class or something, and he's in the psychology class, and he's sitting across from me, so we start talking to each other there, and, and he asks me out, and so we start dating that spring and then by that summer this is really old school it's
1: old history you, you, then he gave me his ring so like his know, class ring yeah you put, mm-hmm. all,
0: you put the tape around it you wear the class ring <laughs> and then they know you're taken you know it's a big deal it's funny but uh, yeah so I got his <laughs> class ring and so really you know honestly by that's the summer I'm a junior he's a senior so, we pretty much think we're going to get married you know eventually we got to go to college, but we're thinking we really do like each other and so uh, so that's our our love story there mm
1: I love that, Isn't that funny? Yeah. so looking at Neil just as a person i mean he yeah. he you you guys can see both through i mean what I'm sharing what you've seen up here, Neil's a man of deep character um what two words i mean as his wife mm-hmm. you know him better than anybody on this planet what two words define neil
0: yeah there's the the, the two words that really come to my mind uh immediately is faithful um, he just whatever it is that he's called to do he's gonna do it and, and he'll be there i mean he taught uh, Sunday school for 23 years He's so faithful to that. He's so faithful to me, to the kids. Um, you know, pretty much anything I wanted to have him do with the kids, he would do. He was always so good uh, with me and on that. You know, and um, he, uh, you know, he he coached. He did all kinds of stuff with the kids to to be a part of their world. Um, But, and with his own family, his mom and dad, we were down there a lot. We're, you know, we're from that town, so we went down there all the time. But he was just always so, you could always depend upon him. Mm -hmm. So faithful, yeah. And then the other thing is, um, he's very intentional. He's very focused. Uh, Neil has an intensity about him, and I think that's what drew me to him. And it was almost too much. Sometimes in band, I'll never forget, he would... He had a playoff with this other trumpet player, and he was just determined he was going to, you know, get first chair, you know. And it would really get to him if he couldn't get <laughs> first chair, you know. And so he, I saw this intensity in him, and um, I don't know. I just kind of liked that he, just, he was so interesting, and he was so focused all the time. He knew where he was going, and he wanted to do um, what was best in the eyes of God, too. And, uh,
1: but I love that, his, his intensity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was interesting as I was thinking about him. Yeah. There's a... I, I mentioned this when we were together, but there was a principledness about Neil. Yes. Where, um, I, I mean, like, I, I wouldn't want to be on the... If, if Neil had in his brain that something really was the right direction to go, that God had called him to it, or it was the I would not want to stand in his path. you know I would oh, yeah. not want to be between Neil and that thing, but that yeah. makes him sound when I say that out loud. I recognize that that makes him sound mean <laughs> like or or that he would run you over. He would never like that that was an interesting thing about neil's character, where he was one of the kindest human beings that i I know and and that drivenness that I saw in him he never. It never was abrasive in my in the the world that even even in the way that he led with our board and with our ministry. um, He could carry a task through, which I suspect is why, you know, I mean, I don't know if you saw it and you noticed it in the video. This is an econ professor. okay? But when the chemistry department is lacking a chair and they're like, we don't know how long it's going to take to find us a chair. They asked Neil, an, an economist, to come chair the chemistry department. And then the same thing for the psychology department. And I suspect it's for that reason, because he was kind, but he also wouldn't give his ground if he knew. And that's, that's the, it was his character. It was yeah. just the kind of a person that they needed. He had a great
0: balance there. Hmm. When that book writing, he, uh, had a, he was brought into it by somebody um, who wanted him to write with him, and that person stopped writing. And I saw Neil, his character was amazing. I saw him endure that. He didn't get mad he didn't you know let that guy have it because he was in his department and he didn't he just he just persevered all right i gotta do more work i gotta find somebody else to help, to help me mm. and it was just a wonderful thing to see him do something that was so hard you know and get through it yeah so he had he had this great intensity and this great focus on getting the task done no
1: matter what. So tell me about the season where um, you guys had a diagnosis for Neil. I mean, Neil knew something was off, but you finally, yeah. doctors were finally able to put a label to that. Tell me about that season for you.
0: Yeah. Okay, so that was by 2011. We had five years. We don't know what's wrong with them. 2011, we finally get the diagnosis. It was confirmed at Mayo through PET scans. Um, and so now um, we are going to um, have to endure something that could take a lot of time. Um, it's, could be a, it could be a very long illness. And uh, we're, gonna have to, um, we're gonna have to get through that. And um, you know, I think you saw that I said that it was the only time I saw him cry. And um, but you know, we we wanted to face it as positively as we could. Because um, we said, or you know, that let's keep going, Neil, as long as we can. the beginning, at least, I, I continued working. I was a teacher, and I continued working. So for the first six years, he could be at home on his own. And um, so I just kept on, and we went on numerous trips. We went to Europe, I think, four times. It was crazy. But we had people we traveled with. We had a support group um, through... A Facebook group. Um, I had support of the friends friends that uh, we had through the years at our church. Um, and
1: can can I interrupt you for just yeah. a second? Because let me let me spell out a little bit of the diagnosis for you guys. I remember when Neil told me about it. It was a disease that affected his uh, his brain, his thinking. Um, and I knew when he came to me and said, "We have we have a diagnosis." And basically, this is going to eat at my brain. Uh, Like you said, could be quickly. But he said, in my mind, this is an absolute worst-case scenario because I am destined to become a burden on my wife. That is the road ahead. Like, my memory will get worse until Barb will just have to carry our lives together. And that, I think to him, more than this is a difficult thing for me to deal with for me, the words I was hearing from him was, I'm scared of the burden that that creates mm-hmm. for you.
0: Oh, yeah. It, yeah, it, it was a disease that um, started visually and then it goes into memory and then eventually gets in physically. Uh, it was just a very long, a long goodbye. Hmm. Um, but yeah, he's, yeah he, he was really worried about that. And there were times that I would even cry and he would, you know, about it. And I hated that, you know. I'm not supposed to cry in front of that person, you know. But this is Neil. He would say, "It's all right, Barb. It, that means you love me."
1: Hmm. Um, so you know, he's trying to be as positive as he could be too. And so tell me, tell me about the end.
0: And the end, yeah. So at the end, then I I need to retire because he can't really be at home by himself now. Um, so I retire in seven. And uh, we still have this great support, our friends, my friends are here tonight, Woo! Eric and Peggy, they, they were fabulous. You know, during COVID was when he was really, really struggling, and uh, they would walk on the campus. We'd walk on the campus because y'all were gone, and so we were just like, <laughs> okay, good. You won't have problems, you know, maneuvering around like we did on the trail where we live close to the trail. So uh, we still have that support, you know, and um, my daughter, Lindsay, also, she's here tonight. She would, she'd hang out with him so I could get away, you know, and when you have something like that, you got to get away from it because it just drains you, and uh, I wasn't sleeping either, you know, because he'd be hallucinating at night, and uh, it just, you know, it's just really hard. I'm losing a lot of sleep, so what do you do when you? You go through those difficult things, and, and, you know, it's just part of the fallenness of life. You, you don't question why. You just go, it's, well, it's just, you know, life. And so I know I, there's, I, I had a lot of crying. I cried out to God a lot, you know. When you go through those difficult times, um, you got to cry out to God, you know, please help me, save me. And I will say God provided for me the whole way. I mean, in many different ways. With people who helped uh, the burden of this and um, just a lot of good a lot of good support. I had a lot of good support. And, and I'm going to go back to Neil again, because he's my hero. You know, he would always, like, when he first moved to Bloomington Normal, I'll never forget, we have this bungalow on Normal Avenue. We're going to strip the woodwork. We're going to fix up this house in the very first month we go, to, we go to church, and he wants to go and go on a painting mission with them. Let's go paint down at the Christian College. And I'm like, are you kidding me? We got all this work to do? You know? What are you <laughs> talking about? So that was Neil. You know, he just, Let's go paint somebody yeah, else's house. Let's go do somebody else's work, even though we, we're living in this, you know, this awful house that needed work. And I, I just couldn't believe it. I just thought, why Neil? But that was him was just... And so, it was so wonderful to see that come back for him. He Hmm. had a lot of support. And uh, God was really good to us. And and, um, you saw that he allowed uh, me to keep him home. Hmm. Which, that was hard too, you know, because... But here again, there were three things. As long as he was nice and he wasn't ever... You know, never got in that violent mode or anything. And if I... My health if it would hold up, and then if he still knew me and I think he did um, know me clear to the end um, so it happened that I got to keep him home, so that was that was really good mm.
1: so if uh if Neil were in the room tonight. Even though he didn't particularly love teaching in Capen Auditorium, that was something that <laughs> <laughs> Barb told me. If he had to teach in this auditorium, he, like he would out. say that people would mess around up in the balcony, so he didn't want to teach classes in here.
0: Yeah, he did it one semester, and even he went and talked to his chairman and said, "Never yeah. put me in Cape and <laughs> me.
1: Never. <laughs> but if we had him mm-hmm. in Capeen tonight, um, what would Neil want to tell these guys?
0: Yeah, well, being Neil as Mr. Studious, he would say, you know, apply yourself, study hard. I think he would say, know yourself, because I think he really, um, that's who he was. He kind of knew who he was. Um, he had to work at slowing down, honestly. Um, there was at one point when I think he was developing an ulcer, so he had to learn how to slow down. And I think his temperament, as even as a child, too, was pretty anxious. I think that he was, he had to deal with anxiety sometimes, you know, he could get a little wound up about, you know, Hmm. just things, you know, or whatever, and he had to work on that, so he would say, know who you are, I think he would say, find out who God is, and um, know, know who God is, and then develop that, well, faith is a gift, but he would say, you know, ask for that, and have that faith and then act upon that faith. Whatever you believe that God is wanting you to do, then do it. Because he put all of his, he used his talents. I, we haven't even, he even sang a lot. <laughs> Neil had a lot of talents. And um, all of his talents he used all the time. And mm-hmm. it was just really, really wonderful to see how he used his talents. And then, of course, the Christian community was so important to him. And uh, he had many different organizations in which he was involved in that were Christian organizations. And he thought that was so important to be involved. Mm. So.
1: I love it. Well, when I, when I step back, the, the reason why, you guys, I want to put Neil forward to you tonight is because I think there are people around you Um, That are worthy of being your heroes that that you might not catch at first glance Um, Neil and barb are one of those for me And i'm not trying to embarrass you by bringing you up on stage for that tonight But I hope that you find like ladies in the room I hope you find a husband that loves you the way that neil loved his wife Um, Men in the room I hope you find a wife who will take care of you through a season of incredible difficulty the way barb did with neil I want that for you. That's what I mean when I say like, I feel like the guy in the road waving you down, being like, man, if if pleasure and happiness are the thing. I mean, you're familiar with the phrase, like, you know, the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow? The reason why that is a a joke is because the faster you chase it, the, the rainbow just moves at the same pace, right? It's always the same distance from you. That's pleasure and that's happiness. Loving God with all our heart our soul, our mind, and strength. Slowly, just slowly. It doesn't happen all at once. You don't change the world all at once. It changes you. It changes your character. And that changes the people around you in ways you don't understand. What we talked about at the beginning, you being intentional. Neil lived an intentional life. You being faithful and consistent. And you being relational. How you spend tomorrow, you guys, how you spend your days is how you spend your life. And so what you do this week, just proje- it just projects forward. And so it doesn't seem that groundbreaking or world-changing to go help somebody move or to go help somebody with their roof or to go paint somebody else's house while your house needs painting, all right? Um, but I can tell you a lifetime of those tiny decisions is groundbreaking, miraculous kingdom work. It is. It's beautiful. And I think, David, I I threw this psalm in here for tonight. What a beautiful reminder. Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered, how fleeting my life is. You've made my life no longer than the width of my hand. My entire lifetime is just a moment to you. At best, each of us is but a breath. You guys use it wisely. Let tonight be a reminder to use it wisely. Let tonight be a reminder to you that pleasure and happiness, if those are the things you worship, in the end you will be bankrupt and you won't find them, and it will happen sooner rather than later. And let my voice echo in your ears in that moment that you were made to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love the people around you as yourself, and nothing else you will find fulfillment in in this lifetime. I'm going to give Neil the last word tonight. Because bizarrely, Barb today showed up at the campus house and she's like, you'll never guess what I found. I found a whole sermon that Neil wrote. And I was like, are you kidding me? That isn't a font, by the way. That's his handwriting. Okay? Just in case you're wondering. So Neil, yours are the words. Are you attached to God steadfastly and firmly? If not then you should consider just what relationship your brand of faith bears to the faith of Abraham and of Paul. And if you have no notion of what it means to be firmly attached to God, then I must once again implore you to go to the Word. The Gospels are a living record of the life of Christ, as He taught His disciples to depend on the Father to meet their every need. If one were forced to summarize briefly what Jesus expects of His faithful, and we are forced to do so today, then the summary would have to be that which Jesus himself gave. A new commandment I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. All men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. I'm going to pray for us. Sweet Jesus, thank you that this isn't a mystery. What it means to live in this world, what it means to endure difficulty and suffering, what it means that really is the fulfillment of our soul is to return your love. Thank you for loving us. Thank you that we get to love you back. Thank you for the gift of loving other people with the love that you give us. God, I pray that you would help us be faithful with today. Maybe take our eyes off of what needs to happen 50 years from now. And just develop the character that you want today and be content in that and trust you to build the larger story, Jesus. Help us chase the things that matter. We love you. We pray this in your name. Amen.
0: Thanks for listening. Find out more about Encounter and ways to get involved at isuencounter.org.